Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we're going to start at about verse 7 again. Uh, as I said last week, verses 1 through 6 is kind of what we all have in common. And then verses 7 through 11 gets down to specifics. Now, I have to deal with this subject tonight because of what Paul brings out here in this passage. And uh, it's very, very serious. There's great debate about it. I have a very close friend of mine that I love dearly that believes the opposite with me about this. But I, and I have honestly opened my heart for the Holy Spirit to change me, but I cannot, I cannot see it the other way. So I, I'm just going to present this the way I believe, which uh, I'm always subject for correction. You know, I've, become, I've learned to be teachable and correctable. So uh, I'm not going to be, have a proud uh, moment like that. But here in uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I wanted to start off with uh, verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us, actually the word every should be each, to each one of us is given grace according to the measure of, of the gift of Christ. Now bear in mind, this is setting up something here. He, everyone, each and every one of us, next week will be more pertinent because I'm going to get down and talking about the ministry gifts and how the body of Christ should work. Uh, but, but each of us have been given, and I want, I want to frame it this way, even though the Greek word is not bearing it out, but, but for emphasis... I wanted to bring this out, but each one of us is given a grace. Now remember what grace is. I know that the, the, what is the traditional definition of grace? Huh? Well, it's unmerited favor. That, you know, that's, that's what the traditional view. But, but literally, the grace of God is God's ability given to you to make you able to do His will. That, that's His grace. So, so with that definition, we can look at that. It says, each one of us is given a grace according to the measure. You say, well, who, what measure? Does somebody have a greater measure than I have? Or No. Remember us talking about in this, in this book, the Ephesians, about us being a body? But we are members in particular. Remember we got into that? We're going to get into it real good next week. How that we all have a part. That my little finger doesn't do as much for me as, as my arm does. But it's just as important as my whole arm. This thumb here, if, next time you're close to me, if you can pay attention, this thumb here is, is, is cut pretty bad. Nothing like this brother's hand. But I nearly cut that off in a saw table saw they gave me because it didn't cut all the way off they gave me eight hundred dollars for for uh, uh, from insurance uh, what am I trying to say disability. huh disability. disability yeah so I had that much a point something oh something disability so they gave me eight hundred dollars and I said well what if it went ahead and cut off he said it would be a lot more I said well let me go back to my son no <laughs> But I'm surprised a lot of the things that I did in my work, I used that portion of my thumbnail, especially when I was refacing. You ever, you ever watch somebody reface cabinets? 
it comes with, we call it peel and stick. It's got real veneer, but it, on the back of it, it's got 3M glue and it's covered with a paper and you have to get that paper off and then put it on the cabinet and you have a special thing to, to rub that down. Well, that, that, you know, that, I realized how important that thumb was. That's my point of this statement. So we're all important in the body of Christ. Each of us have a measure. Each, when, when all that measure is put together, it makes a whole. If I have a, a pie, let's say blueberry, that's my favorite. If I have a pie and I cut it into four pieces, then each piece each is a quarter. And that is a measure of that. One quarter is a measure. If I cut it into eight, you know, it gets smaller. So, so that's kind of what he's setting up here. But then notice what happens. He says, according to the gift of Christ, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And then verses 9 and 10 is parenthetical. That means that you see those, those marks around that, those two verses. That means that, that he's, he's interrupting his subject and it lends to understanding at how these gifts are going to work and where the power came from and all that. And then it says, Now he that ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And then it says in verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, and, we, and we won't go on there. We're going to really get, delve into that next, uh, next lesson. But as, we, as we're talking about this, it says... Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high. When, you know, the word wherefore. Wherefore is really talking about on account of. Or it, it, it is the purpose. We call it a purpose clause. Wherefore means it's because of these things. This is, this is going to take place. And he said, wherefore he saith. Well, this next statement is a... Uh, is a statement taken from Psalm 68 and 18. And I think I have it printed out here. Uh, Psalm 68 and 18. Yeah. Psalm 68 and 18 says almost the same thing. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. So that's where, when he said, where did he say it? It was in Psalm, way back in Psalm. And now notice, when did he ascend? When did he ascend? Well, in John 20 and 17, look what it says here. Here's the first day of the resurrection. This is when he ascended. You know, from, he came up from the grave. This is the first day of the resurrection. It's not his ascension. That's to come later. But notice John 20 and 17. It says, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Uh, just as a side note here, here's the first woman preacher. 
This was, and, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting who that woman was. Because societally, she was an outcast. This was Mary Magdalene. You know, a prostitute that started following Jesus. And she was the one that got to carry the first message. My Lord. But notice that he says, touch me not. Well, look, look in uh, Acts 1 and 3. He says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, now think about that. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's hanging around for forty days, talking to these people. Verse 10 says in Acts 1, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Acts 1, 11 says, Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken, upon, taken you up from you in he, unto heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Now don't forget our, our teaching that we did on the end time. The end time position of the church. Because we, we got into when this would take place. Exactly when that angel said that to uh, Peter and John. When he said that to them, I'm sure their minds were thinking, when is that going to happen? So, he said in, in 1 Corinthians 15 then, which, let's see, verses 9 through 12. Uh, well, I've already, I'm not going to read 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Notice this. He said, After that, he was seen of above 500 at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Think about that. 500 people saw him at once. That means he had a crowd. And they saw him. Luke twenty four sixteen, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. If you'll read that account real clear, you you know they were talking with him, and then and then verse thirty one in Luke twenty four says, and their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Now, it says here in this verse again, verse eight of Ephesians four, wherefore he saith when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So, let, let's look at that. He led captivity captive. It's, it's a Greek word which I'm not going to try to pronounce. You can see it written there. Uh, uh, which means a prisoner of war. It literally means to capture with a sword. So, he led captivity captive. Uh, Luke 4.18 tells us uh, what his mission it says the spirit of the lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised so that that word captives is the same word so 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 those pre to preach deliverance to the captives so what do you think that uh, those captives were? Second uh, Corinthians ten five, uh, it says this: casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So that, that word there is, is used, ekimalatoyo, uh, whatever you say it, is, is, is what that's talking about. And so bringing these things into, into captivity. So who, the question has always been, who was the captives? Who were the captives that he brought out? Some people have said that it was all the Old Testament saints, uh, which, I, which is what I believe. Others have said various things about that, that he led captivity captive. Uh, Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. Uh, let's just read that for you. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now that happened between the time that He met Mary Magdalene and said, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended, and the time when He went over to Thomas, remember when He appeared to them again, and said, Thomas, talk, because he told the group, he said, I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my finger in his hands, the holes in his hands, and my hand in his side. And so you read the story about that. It's fascinating because it blew the man away, so to speak. And, and he didn't have to do that. He believed. He said, Thomas, you have believed because you've seen, but more blessed are those that believe have never seen. And that's why we're far, we're far more blessed because I, I believe, don't you? I believe God raised him from the dead. Amen. So he says, verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the, if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the puring of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause He is the mediator of a new covenant that by means of death, notice this, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen? So, then in, verse, uh, then in Colossians, Chapter 2 and verse 11. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the uncircumcision of Christ. Now let me ask you. We've already covered that before, but do you remember what the, what the, un, what the circumcision made without hands is? That is the cutting away of the, of the Spirit from the flesh. That's separating that. Because during Adam's time, Adam's spirit became joined to his flesh. Uh, Genesis 6 bears that out. And so the new birth, this circumcision made without hands, is that cutting away of the sins of the flesh. And then now verse 12 in Colossians 2. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him, through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised Him from the dead, 
And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together, having forgiven you all trespasses. Amen? All trespasses. That's why it's important for us to give those who trespass against us. If I trespass on someone's property without them giving me permission, they can prosecute me. They're supposed to have signs up, no trespassing. Well, we all have that kind of a sign. We should not be trespassed against, but some people are going to trespass against us and it's our job to release them of that burden. Release them and they need to forgive as well. Uh, we need to forgive and they need to forgive. But now notice verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, this is called the triumbeuses. The triumbeuses is a word which described the conqueror, the leader of a country that conquered another country, and he, in a procession, would be on a white stallion leading his army behind him, and behind his army would be all of the people that he took captive. That he basically was leading captivity captive. That's what the Triumbeus says, and it's what we know as uh, hymnic literature. This was a song that they sang. Paul wrote that down, and I'm sure he was singing it while he was writing it, because they sung this in their churches about what Jesus did, leading captivity captive. And I'm telling you, he freed not only those that were down there in the lower parts, but he freed us as well. Amen? So, so, so he took all that against that was against us and, and dealt with that. So, it says, having spoiled apekedomiae, which means to divest or strip, or it's denoting separation from what is put off. You say, why am I uh, signifying that? It's because what happened to Jesus in, in Matthew 27 and 28, it says that they stripped Him of His garments. Notice that. And then in Luke 10.30, it's wrong in your notes. I had to correct that in mind. Luke 10.30, this is when the story of the man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and in the middle there where all those thieves and robbers and all those people were, they, they, he fell among those thieves and they stripped him of everything that he owned. And so it's the same word. So Jesus, having spoiled, stripped everything that was against us, everything that we had that was against us, He stripped that from us and made us free from those things. Now notice the next thing in, uh, in verse 8 of Ephesians 4. Wherefore He saith, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Gave. It's the, it's the word didomy. And it, here, here in this part, and this, you have, sometimes you have to interpret uh, Greek words in context. Uh, uh, in the digital Bibles, uh, it, it's not in this one here, but in a lot of the digital Bibles, and in some written uh, printed Bibles, there'll be a little cross in there in between some of those verses. And that basically means this, that there really wasn't an English word that was 
fit to translate that, so they translated it as best they could. In fact, that if you'll if you'll touch your finger on that in your digital Bible, that little cross, it'll bring up another little word. Sometimes it's en, meaning in or something. But but uh, so when those happens, you have to context uh, contextually interpret what that word means. So in this context, uh, when he gave, it's didomy. Didomy basically means to just hand over. I mean, it would be like if I was giving Elmer something today, I would just hand it to him. That would be didomy. But here in this passage, it's really talking about the fact that to appoint to an office or a commission. That's what Jesus did. Now notice that. When He raised from the dead... When he was re- he he led ca- he ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, uh, so there, those are three things that happened there in verse eight at one time. And the word gifts is the Greek word doma, which and it's interesting it's not charis, which we get the word gift and give a lot. It, it's the word doma, and it's talking about the quality of that uh, that was given. Now to verses nine and ten. As I said, they're parenthetical. It was exact quote from Psalm 68:18, as we read to you. But now notice here. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first? I thought it was interesting the way the Holy Spirit had him put that there. First. He had to go there first. Into the lower parts of the earth. Uh First, of course, means at the beginning. It's proton. It's the, it's the Greek word proton. It means in the beginning. At the beginning of all this, he first had to do the work that he had to go do in the lower parts of the earth. Now remember uh, Jesus teaching at some point to his disciples. He said, I must go and do what the Father has called me to do. I must complete my mission. I must go ahead and do the Father's will. Part of the Father's will is Jesus becoming sin. And what happens to a sinner when they die? They do not ascend to heaven. They don't go to paradise, do they? They go to Sheol. They go to Hades. That is the condition of a sinner. Now the people in the Old Testament didn't have being saved like you and I. They they were not saved. They were not sozo. Remember I wrote it on the board and, and, and depicted that out for you. But they, but they enjoyed the salvation, which is soteria. And so soteria was from God to them. See, when he, when he led them through the Red Sea on dry ground, that was His salvation put upon them. They enjoyed that. But as far as being born again in, our, in their spirit, they weren't. They couldn't be, right? They could not be. Why? Jesus had their sin was still in their spirit. They were still alienated from God. See, so in other, in one of the ways to be, or the way rather, to be saved, is to uh, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's why the other disciples were saved until after the resurrection. See, they were still enjoying salvation, soteria, through the ministry of Jesus. But interestingly enough now, and we'll get into that next week more and more, because I'm telling you, the governmental structure of the church, if it's set up right, it will grow. 
Now we, you know, with 20, 25, 30 people, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous to think that we can have all uh, of the eight operations of God or the 12 uh, gifts of God operating in this church. So it, but, but it has to be taught on and set up that way. We have to expect that. I mean, I really believe after you, after you hear next week's message, you, you know, it's going to open up a lot of things for you. Uh, and it needs to be set up that way. I could comment more, but I'll, I'll just wait till next week. But he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. The word descended is carabeno, which means to go down metaphorically to be cast down to the lowest state of wretchedness and shame. So he went to the lower parts of the earth. Hell is 3,700 miles below your feet right now. That's where it is. It's below us. Jesus went to the lowest parts of the earth. We know that from studying that actually the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. How that when Lazarus the beggar died, it said the angels carried him into Abraham's bosom, which was, which was then under the earth, but it was in a place called paradise. And then he could look over, actually he didn't, but the rich man was buried, probably had a very affluent funeral and because he was rich. And it says that he was buried, probably had a tomb that he put in, that bought and all that. But he went into hell. In hell, it said, he lifted up his eyes. So you know there's eyes there. And then he looked across the gulf. It's kind of interesting that word gulf. He said, because when he said to Father Abraham, he could speak to them. He said, will you send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in water? Apparently there was water over there. He had finger. He said, and dip his finger and put a drop on my tongue. So there's tongue. So we know there's tongues and eyes in hell. I'm being facetious because a lot of people think that it's, it's a spiritual place and it's just uh, ethereal and all that. But, it, but it's literal. It's not going to be your flesh, this proton and neutron and electron that makes up this flesh body. But this flesh body is, ha- is, is a house for the spirit. And your spirit man takes up every inch of this. My spirit man has the whole thumbnail on it. See, my spirit man has the original count of hair that I had. See, That's good. my spirit man is not fat and bloated like I am today. See, that's why we need to take care of our bodies so our spirit man can can do the will of God. But but I, I wanted to really press that point that. He descended into that state of wretchedness and shame. Uh, lower parts, kataterros. That, that word kata, it means under. And teros is terrain. And so it's talking about the land, the lower lands. In fact, the word nether means lower. We have a, we have a country in the world called the Netherlands. Remember? Well, the Netherlands, 50% of the land in the Netherlands is 3.3 inches above sea level. 17% of it is below sea level. 
So that's why it's called the Netherlands. So Jesus did not go to the Netherlands when He died. He went to the, he went to the nether parts of the earth. In Ezekiel chapter 31, it says in verse 14, it says, "...to the end that none of, the, none of all the trees by the waters exalt themselves for their height." Neither shoot up their top among the thick boughs, neither their trees stand up in their height, all that drink water, for they are all delivered unto death neither to the nether parts of the earth in the midst of the children of men with them that go down into the pit. Now some of this is in reference to the enemy, to, to Satan and all that, which we're not going to get into. But in verse 15, it says, Thus saith the Lord in the day when He went down into the grave, let's notice that, caused a mourning, I covered the deep for Him, I restrained the floods thereof. Verse 16, I made the nations to shake at the sound of His fall. When I cast Him down to hell with them that descended into the pit and all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. Uh, Verse 18 of Ezekiel 31, To whom art art thou thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet thou shalt be brought down with the trees of Eden unto the nether parts of the earth. Thou shalt lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that be slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitudes, saith the Lord. Now, talking about the nether parts. I wanted to pull, you may be thinking I'm, I'm belaboring this, but I've got, I must, I have to give you the reason why I believe Jesus went to hell. I believe personally that the wording would be different if he didn't. I don't think they would have used lower parts. I think they would, he would have said, and, and he, Jesus, and was crucified, was buried, and went to Abraham's bosom. I mean, that's just my, as I've been meditating, I've been meditating this for years. Let's no, no, remember, I've, been, I've taught this 30 something years ago. And I've tried to change to the other way, but I, I, I just can't, because there's, there's a lot of smart dudes, a whole lot smarter than I am. That, that don't believe what I'm teaching you tonight. And, and, and that's the major reason I gave you that addendum so you could do some personal study. And if you decide that it's not true, we'll still be friends. I just won't let you preach. No, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, because those things are, are, you know, it's believing that is not a heaven or hell issue. Believing it either way. It just... And I meant to start out this lesson with this premeditated statement that I was given years and years and years ago. When we really understand what the limit was that Jesus went for us, it will remove the limit that we place on people to love them. So let's say it this way. the limit that lo- If you understand the limit love went for you, it removes it, t- it causes you to remove the limit on your love for people no matter what they do just think about that no matter what they do if you if you really embrace the limit he went the, the love of god that went for you how can you not love someone else it's like the parable that jesus gave that this person this this slave person owed his master $20. Am I getting this right? He owed a debt of $600,000. And he was demanding that he pay. 
and he couldn't pay. He wanted to put him in prison, his wife and kids and everything he had to be sold to pay, which still wouldn't have paid. But then that person uh, was relieved of that debt and then that person turned right around and wanted to put somebody in jail that owed him $20. So that's kind of how it is with us and Jesus. We've been forgiven the $600,000 debt, which would be impossible to pay uh, without the aid of the Oklahoma lottery. <laughs> be impossible to pay. But then, these little needly things that people do against us or owe us, you owe me an apostle. You know, hey, you don't owe me anything. I relieve you of that liability. Amen? That, that's, that's the attitude we have to have. Well, unless we really grasp the love that went for us, the limit that love went for us, it's going to be hard to, to, to relieve people of the wrongs that they do to you. Matthew 12 and 40. Did I already read that? Uh, Ezekiel 32 and 18 also has, has that. I don't think I printed it down here, no. But, but now let's look at... Uh, let's see, where do I want to go here? Matthew 12 and 40 is talking about for as Jonah was in the... Actually, it wasn't a whale. If you get, get in the Greek, you'll see that it's a, a great fish because a whale's gullet is not big enough to swallow a man. But a Jewfish is, which is a grouper. And over in the Mediterranean Sea where this took place, they grow to be 1,200 pounds. It's a huge, huge fish. And so they, most scholars believe that it was a Jewfish that swallowed him up. And he was in that fish's belly three days and three nights. That's very important. You can't live in a fish's belly three days and three nights, you die. You, you die. Jonah died. It was not a, this, is, this is not a parable. This is not just a story. Jonah was ate by a fish and died. And while he was in the fish's belly, go over there and read it. I've got it on your addendum, that lesson when I do our redemption. I've got, I go into that. But go and read that. He died. And he was puked up on the third day of his uh, digestion. <laughs> and of course he was bleached out white and staggered up there and told them to repent and they did because their God was half fish and, and half man. So that was a sign to them and all of them repented and Jonah got mad. He said, I went through all this and now I just tell them to repent and they do. And, and he was mad. But notice that parable there in Matthew twelve forty, or not parable, but that teaching. Matthew's bringing out here. He said, so it is with the Son of Man. He is three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus died. Not just physically, but Jesus died spiritually. And what's so hard for people, I mean, people, people that believe like I do about this, they call us JDS heretics. Jesus died spiritually. They say it's heresy. But in my view, Jesus became what I was, which was wretched, a sinner. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 bears this out. It's in my notes here somewhere to read. 
He who knew no sin. Now the word knew there is a it's an experiential word. It's the same, it's the same kind of new that uh, that a husband and wife, they know each other. It, it's, it, has a, it has an intimate an intimacy to that. He knew no sin. He did not experience sin as an act in his life. He was spotless. But somebody had to be the sacrifice. God became flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. Lived the whole life here, 33 and a half years, totally sinless because He drew off of that Spirit inside Him that was pure, that was perfect, that was of God. But when He hung Himself there on the cross, He in fact told those guys, He said, you can't take my life, I give it. I give it. Yeah, God used the mechanism of the cross, the mechanism of the Roman soldiers, the mechanism of the hatred of the Jews, and it brought about the redemption of mankind. Thank God. But here, Jesus was in the belly of hell uh, three days and three nights. Now, what did He do there? 1 Peter 3, 18-20. He preached to them. That means to proclaim openly something which has been done, always with a suggestion of formality, gravity, and authority which must be listened to and obeyed. In other words, a proclamation. So here... In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by Spirit. Now notice that. Here's the value of word study. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh. You remember the word death that I told you that meant spiritual death? Thanatos. Thanatos usually refers, now not in every case, like I said, most of them have to be interpreted in line of context, but most of the time it's talking about spiritual death, Thanatos. Uh, the other word, physical death, is necros. But notice that, being put to death in the flesh, uh, Thanatos, in the flesh, but quickened, and the word by is the Greek word en, which means in, quickened, in spirit, quicken means to make alive. Now, if he wasn't dead, why would he have to be made alive? See? You see my thinking there, my reasoning? So, he, he went down to the, in the spirits of prison, in prison rather, Fulake. It was a place where captives are, are held the place where the captives were held. Now the people of the flood, the people of the great deluge that happened in Noah's day, the people that listened to him preach for 120 years and mocked him, made fun of him, suddenly when the rains came, because it had never rained before, and when the rains started coming, they were scared out of their wits. That's the little glimpse the Lord gave me a few Sundays ago, or a few weeks ago. Seeing people beat on that. I could just see that. I mean, it was horrible. It was the most horrible thing because the water was rising and they were beating with all their might on that ship and the door would not open. Who closed the door? God closed it. Even Noah couldn't have said, ah, okay. No, it was done. It was a done deal. And that's what I'm afraid is going to happen in the future here. Not, not with us, but I'm talking about in our present world. 
Because Jesus actually did say, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. That's at the end of the uh, tribulation period when, that's, when that scenario takes place. But uh, the people of the flood are primarily the ones that were being held captive. All of the people in Abraham's bosom, however, were people that believed God down through the times. You know, not just, not just, you know, we think, when we think back there about the believers, we think of Moses and Aaron and Joshua and all, all the people of the Old Testament that have been brought out, we think. But, but there were millions upon millions of people in paradise, Abraham's bosom, with, with them. See, All the people, all the children of Israel that believed. All the people that the children of Israel won to the Lord. See, not every nation rejected God. They, Israel, Israel won some of them. And they believed. Some of the Egyptians, if you'll read closely, when they were uh, going through the Passover, you know, the original Passover, some of them believed. Some of them actually put blood on their doorpost and were saved, even though they were Egyptians. So those people are, were, were in, were in uh, Abraham's bosom, but the people of the flood, think of the millions. Think of the millions of babies. Let's, let's just cross out all the adults. Let's, let's say for a moment, all of the adults didn't believe Noah and, and perished and went into... Uh, Sheol, Hades. But what about all the babies? The statistics are this, that, the, that this planet was just as populated then as it is now. And, and Satan had got it down to eight people that, that served God. Eight people? Wow. So it's not that bad here yet. I know the media wants you to think you know, they're all against us. But hey, I still believe God. There's more with us than they are with them. And, and I believe, not to get too political here, but uh, on November the 4th, the, the, the sleeping giant will rise and we'll vote a bunch of this garbage out of our nation. And then there'll be a great revival, I think, a move of God that we've never seen. And, and then, and then we can go on. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hell, my Lord, I've gone 42 minutes already. Okay, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. Uh, the graves were all, all open, and then uh, Hebrews twelve twenty-three is what I was talking about a while ago about uh, the spirits of just men made perfect. Let's just go ahead and and see if I've got that here. Read that. Uh, Hebrews twelve twenty-three says to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, made perfect. Now, Paul is writing this in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. It is addressed to the people in heaven. Because you know what happened when Jesus led captivity captive? Abraham's bosom became vacant. And it has a no vacancy sign on it. You can't get, you can't, because it has moved from there to heaven. See, Jesus told the disciples, He says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. So He's gone when He ascended. They're, they're building a place for us all right now. 
Glory to God. In the planet called heaven, which is, remember I told you the dimensions, 26,000 of the worlds we know can fit in it. So, he says there, to the, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's when they were made perfect. The people of the flood, the children of Israel and all of their uh, converts, all of the men of old that walked the streets of Jerusalem later at the resurrection, all of those were made perfect right then. Now let me ask you, when is your spirit made perfect? When we were born again. That's right. Isn't that wonderful? So let's go in uh, a little further then. Uh, verse 10, He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill, pleru is the, is the word, all things. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. Let's see. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Now let me give you my take on that scripture. It was not possible that he, Jesus, could be holden of it because he had never experienced personally sin himself. So it was a travesty. He went there in our place and God said, okay, that penalty's paid. And then Jesus was resurrected with a brand new spirit just like we have today. So in a way, and I know Brother David Ingalls has a song entitled this, uh, or in, in a, a, a line in it says, Jesus was the first man to ever be born again. Because it said He was the first among many brethren. He's the first. So He got a brand new spirit. See, when we get saved, we, we, we have a spirit just like His spirit now. Verse 25, because, or for, David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. My tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, would he raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption, experience decay. Before even, you know, in three days, four days, you, your flesh cannot experience that kind of de decay. Rigamortis tries to, to start setting in and all that. But, but God did not allow His body to experience decay. So His body was made brand new. The only scars that were left were those in His palms of His hands. Well, actually here where the wrist is. His hands. And then the, the, the scar in His side here. Uh, but all the rest of him was made new. You see, this crucifixion was so bad that they said he. If we, in our modern language today, we would say he'd look like a, a, a hamburger shaped like a man. It was that bad. He was beaten that bad. Uh, 
Verse 32 in Acts 2, This Jesus hath God raised up whereof you are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He had shed forth this which you now see and hear. Which is talking about those tongues they were talking in. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Amen? So that was David's description of that day by divine illumination. He being a prophet of God foresaw in the future the resurrection of Jesus. I'm sure that it was from the standpoint of Abraham's bosom. Just like the rich man could look over there and see, David being in that, he looked over there and saw. And, and I think it was what probably the greatest revelation that's ever came to a human being. 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. Let's look at 14. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come shortly uh, unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now notice this mystery. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So Jesus was justified in spirit. Dikaio, to declare or pronounce one to be just or righteous. If He was just or righteous already, why would He need this proclamation? It was because He went through an explosion of the power and awesome light of God and caused Him to be a brand new person. So this, this same also that ascended Jesus, He could not be delivered into eternal separation from God because He had no personal sin. And we've already quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 to you. But notice that. He says, far above all heavens. Colossians there is a... You know, we already covered Ephesians 2, 6. That he's seated... We're seated with Him. Colossians 3, 1-5 If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hit with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Now notice that last little part. That He might feel complete. That He will bring to complete everything that is lacking because of the fall. Jesus is going to bring it all into completion. So, there's much, much, much that can be said of all this. I could do a whole series just on this, but I want you to get your study aids out and you, you run these references, you look at this, and I want you to be convinced because I want you to be one that is not allowing... Uh, your love to be put down because of you've not understood how much love did for you. Amen? And I, and I do have that little drawing here on here. Boy, it was a long time ago. 
but hopefully you can you can draw some conclusions for yourself and uh, you know be blessed for it I, I'm not here to one, th- one thing that happened to me oh it's probably been my goodness it's probably been a decade ago God delivered me from having to be right you know that's why arguments happen uh, I, I really don't argue with people anymore because one of us is wrong and that's embarrassing and, and so but it has helped me so much to get away from having to be right because I can hear somebody else some, say something that I totally disagree with and it doesn't bother me anymore I don't care I mean I would like for them to have uh, the, the belief that I have about it who say I, I'm not wrong so I'm not going to argue and, and, and pit and fight with people about doctrine I, I think it's the most foolish thing in the world to argue scriptures but uh, there's only one spirit and he is the Holy Spirit and he's the one in charge of revelation and that's where it, it should come from it should come from him uh, not us but uh, anyway so next week we're going to talk about body ministry we're going to talk about the eight operations of God. We're going to talk about what deacons and elders really are and what their responsibilities really are. It's not, uh, I, I hate church polity. And I can vow to you today, I wish everybody was sitting in here, I can vow to you right now this evening at almost 8 o'clock that if this church gets in a big fuss and fight over who's running it, Jerry is back to Tennessee as quick as a, you can shake a stick. I, I won't. I won't tolerate. It. I mean, it's stupid. We need to walk in love with one another. You know. Remember, one very little, little simple uh, anecdote: love does not insist on its own way. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So we're going to talk about all that. Get into uh, all the gifts that we have, and I, I just can't. I've had to 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 go ahead and and study most all the next two or three lessons because Teru's going to be gone for. A, about 10 days here in a, in a couple weeks and and she's my typist and if I type it I'll do all day just typing it and then not have my prayer time or anything else amen